I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. To start off the show, I'm joined on the line by Rachel Blumenthal, who's founder and CEO at Rockets of Awesome, a children's clothing subscription service. Rachel, welcome to Launchpad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And a little later in the show, I'll sneak in how I know you, at least sort of, uh, So, <laughs> which is a pretty funny story. I didn't know that uh, uh, until I, I was prepping the show. But anyway, um, Rachel, you're founder and CEO of Rockets of Awesome. And one of the nice things about the name Rockets of Awesome is I actually don't need to spell it. I think there's this, there's no spelling ambiguity. So just for our listeners out there, if you're at a web a web, web browser someplace safe, you can just type Rockets of Awesome and get to Rachel's site. Rachel, let's start off by, by having the elevator pitch for Rockets of Awesome. Sure. Uh, so Rockets of Awesome is a personal shopping service and vertical apparel brand for kids. And, um, you know, what we really seek to do is to deliver solutions and services to parents and what we had identified is that kids are outgrowing their clothes every single season. And so unlike you and me, where, you know, maybe we want a new pair of jeans or a new jacket, my kids actually need an entire new full dresser every single season. And it's entirely um, time consuming and expensive to do that every three months. And so we wanted to do the work for parents and deliver them exceptional product and value with amazing service. So walk us through how it works. I, I actually, by the way, you can ignore the customer who came on this afternoon looking for uh, neon clothes for Billy. That was me. And, and my children are grown now, so you can ignore <laughs> that one. But, but uh, go ahead and, and walk us through the user experience. So uh, a customer signs onto our site. They create a profile, and they tell us every picky preference their kids have from you know, they like pink, but it's only neon and it has to have polka dots to doesn't wear zippers and only wears pants that don't have elastic at the bottom. Every sort of nuance that uh, makes our kids awesome. And with that information, our algorithms are able to personally assort a box for our kids every season. So it's eight great items that make um, some amazing outfits. And our customer receives that to their home about four times a year. And, um, Eight items, if you keep everything in the box, it's $150, so it's a really incredible value. The price point is lined with Old Navy, Zara, Gap, H&M, and um, they have complete freedom to decide what they're keeping, and they return the rest, or they keep everything because it's such a good deal. Um, and with their, uh, with their purchase and with their return, we're collecting more data, so it enables us to really get to understand the customer's preferences and not only make our business more efficient where we continue to make better products for our customers, but um, more importantly, makes their experience every time they receive a box from us more and more personalized. Um, we also have an e-commerce experience, so customers can purchase a la carte in between seasons. So, of course, the inevitable need is going to come up, whether they rip a hole in the knee of their favorite sweatpants or they have um, a family picture where they need a button-down shirt or a dress and the shop is there to purchase whenever you need to need something. Wow, it sounds awesome. And so it, it's it's unlike some other subscription services in that it's it's quarterly. And and I wonder how you decided on that model as opposed to say I don't know a Birchbox or a Stitch Fix, which I'm guessing are more like monthly. 
Sure. Um, so I am pretty allergic to a trendy business model. That's the first thing you need to know about me. Uh-huh. Um, and so when we started this, we really started with, you know, how do customers already shop? What is the existing behavior and how do we make it better? And what we recognized was that at the beginning of every season, parents were doing this big bulk purchase, whether they were opening you know, a million tabs on different websites and purchasing online, or they were going into different stores. They were doing that big purchase. And then throughout the season, again, as needs came up, they were sort of filling in as needed. And so this idea of delivering a solution meant that, you know, why can't we do the work for them? Why do they have to worry about that the seasons are about to change or that their kids' pants are three inches too short? We should be able to know that information and make their lives easier. Mm. And so... Um, the the model was really sort of fell into sort of a quote unquote you know subscription box business um, more aligned with existing customer behavior. Interesting. And say a little bit of more. Uh, something you said piqued my interest. So are you able to if I if I sign up and do nothing, do you make some assumptions about the growth rate of my child, or do I need to update size information periodically? We do both. Um, so we're constantly contacting our customers and saying, you know, uh, we're about to surf a box. Do you want to update your style file? You know, are there size changes or preferences? You know, we know kids like one day pink is the favorite color and then all of a sudden they hate pink and it's green. So wanting to make sure that we're capturing those changing preferences. Um, but we will also make assumptions as well. So if we notice that you haven't changed sizes in six months, we'll ping you and say, we noticed you didn't change sizes. You know, we're going to go ahead and change it for you unless we hear from you. Um, and on the algorithm side, the algorithms are helping us drive that, and they're mm-hmm. also learning. So over time, um, they will also get smarter and have a better understanding of what growth curves look like for kids. Yeah. So my my producer, Dana, just texted me and said, and and just by backstory, she has a young child and is expecting her second. And she said, uh, okay, so why did they start with age with size three? So what about infants? And why did you choose size three? Good question. Um, so we really, you know, I guess two reasons. One is as a startup, we wanted to mitigate as much risk as possible. And we also wanted to, um, you know, make sure that everything that we were doing was really efficient. And so what we looked at was, okay, if we want to serve the broadest age range of kids, what does that age range look like or that size range look like where the silhouette of the product is the same from different sizes? So as you can imagine, the T-shirt that a three-year-old wears is the same shape and silhouette and fit that a 12-year-old wears, Mm -hmm. whereas an infant is wearing, you know, completely different styles with the footsies and the buttons and the snaps and the open shoulders. Um, so it was, it was primarily driven by limited resources, limited, you know, bandwidth of team and wanting to be efficient. Um, but it was also driven by the fact that we know that a lot of products for babies are gifted and we wanted to start building the relationship with the parent and we wanted to start to build that dialogue and that trust. Mm -hmm. So we figured, you know, we could sort of, in some ways, kill two birds with one stone by starting a little older. Yeah. Um, that being said, we definitely think there is a huge opportunity there. We hear it a lot. Um, and, you know, certainly parents that, um, you know, are very much in need and, and need of that support during a really chaotic and stressful period. So take us back to the beginning. Where did the idea for the business come from? So I was actually running a platform called Cricket Circle, which was 
curated product recommendations and content for new parents. Um, so we were actually entirely focused on babies and toddlers and women that were pregnant. And it was essentially a cliff notes for what to buy for your baby. So mm. three great products in every category. You didn't need to see the 85 different bouncy seats. We were going to tell you the three best for your preferences and what we knew about you. And we were using um, a very, very simple algorithm to be able to deliver those personalized recommendations. And as we built that community and we built the trust and we had built a brand that really spoke to this generation of moms and dads and consumers, new parents, um, we saw an opportunity to further deliver solutions to them by being able to put products in their home at the right time. And as we tested different formats of that, what we recognized was that once you made the stroller or the car seat decision, which at the time feels like the most monumental thing you're ever going to do, and your kid might not go to, you know, Wharton if you pick the wrong car seat. Um, but we realized that once you did that, you really had a confidence level. And what was a pain point for parents ongoing well beyond the baby and toddler years was the fact that their kids were outgrowing their clothes every <clears throat> season. It was endless. Um, and so we saw an opportunity to further deliver the solution to parents, but in the apparel category. Um, so at that point, we decided that um, it needed a brand that represented a service as well as an apparel label. It had to appeal to parents and kids, boys and girls, and a large age range of kids as well. So um, that's when we named it Rockets of Awesome. Rachel, so take, take me back a little bit to that transition. Was it literally a... A pivot uh, in the in the current vernacular from from the the information service you were doing previously, or did you disband the previous startup, or did you fork it? Tell me a little bit about about the evolution from that original what you were originally doing. Sure, um, it was it was sort of um, a little of everything. You know what we did was that we took the existing team and. Um, a lot of the infrastructure that we had built, and we continued to build upon it and leverage it for this business. Um, we did, you know, move away from the branding of Cricket Circle, which really represented a community of parents, um, but we did continue to leverage the mission and a lot of the content that we had previously created. And what was really fun for us is that our customers were growing with us. So, mm -hmm. you know, while they may have come on board when they were pregnant or just had a baby, their kids were now, you know, size two, three, and were ready for Rockets of Awesome. So yeah. it really became a really nice transition. Um, Cricket Circle does not exist anymore. Um, we do still create a lot of the same content, again, that we were creating um, over there. But, you know, the business is very, very focused on um, creating apparel and delivering that service to our customer. Great. So... Uh, Rachel, I, I imagine as you were contemplating making the transition from Cricket Circle to Rockets of Awesome, you it, it, it's sort of a big leap in the sense that to get up and running and to start actually fulfilling this business is very different from putting up a website with some information on it. And I wonder how you validated the opportunity. And that's something I think our listeners often, aspiring entrepreneurs often struggle with. They've got an idea, they've got a vision, and what Maybe you give them some advice on, on, on how you can validate an idea and maybe tell us a little bit about how you validated the idea, if you did at all. Sure. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, for Cricket Circle and Rockets, it was different because, you know, for Rockets, we had a built-in um, customer base from Cricket Circle. But, you know, if I just take a step back and start from the beginning, I think first and foremost, 
one of the biggest concerns that you hear among early entrepreneurs is that they have an idea and it's in stealth mode and they don't want to tell anybody um, for fear that somebody's going to take their idea. And, you know, my view is that there are no original ideas in the world. It's all about execution. And the more that you can share your ideas with as many people as possible and a wide variety of people, the more informed you are and the better you are going to execute your vision. Um, Because, you know, when you have a tight vision, you are deadly focused, you're down a tunnel, um, you have no perspective, and to get people's perspective is really important. So first and foremost, I would say share and ask as many questions to people as possible and and really get, um, you know, people's advice. The second would be, um, you know, how do you test sort of some of your assumptions? So whether that is a focus group, is it a survey? Um, you know, again, with Rockets of Awesome, we were fortunate where we had the built-in customer base from Cricket Circle. So we were able to leverage them and say, you know, do surveys and focus groups and even test. We did a test of about 300 customers where before we made product, we actually bought product, third-party product from other brands and put it in a box and we paid retail and we didn't care that we weren't going to make any money, but it was really trying to understand, do people want this experience? So I think anything that you can do along the way to mitigate risk and learn is what's going to enable you to have greater confidence to ultimately take the risk. Yeah. So I'm going to underscore a couple of things you said. You said it, you said it beautifully and maybe I'll just play the tape to my students because there is often a, a fear out there of, of uh, somebody stealing your idea. And what I tell people is, do you know just how hard it is to get somebody to adopt your idea when you're trying to sell them? Imagine them doing it accidentally. It just never happens. So the risk that you don't learn something valuable is much greater than the the risk that someone is going to steal your idea. So you you said that uh, very well. And then I think you said two very specific things that I want to underscore. One is, well, you can just ask people. And, and that's a open-ended conversation or a survey with people in your target segment. And that can give you some decent information, probably allow you to avoid some major blunders. But then you said something I think super interesting, which is that you can mock up the service experience using available resources. And in your case, you were buying clothes, I don't know, at The Gap or something like that, and putting them in boxes and giving people as close as possible the near-life experience of what it would be like to buy from Rockets of Awesome. And that allowed you to tune the offer, at least understand whether you had something. So I think those are are great principles and ones I want to underscore for our listeners. Um, I wonder if if we can turn to uh, uh, another question. And, and so one of the things I've, I wondered immediately was uh, sourcing and design. And are you – so maybe you just speak to are these objects are not these, – these items are not typically branded with a third-party brand, brand. Is that right? Are they branded with your own brand? And if so, maybe They're you can all- – yeah. Yeah, they're all branded with Rockets of Awesome. Yeah. So you're you're effectively an apparel company as much as you are as apparel manufacturer, designer and manufacturer as much as you are a a retailer. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how you get that done and what that involves. Sure. Yeah. So we often say that we are a actually a tech and data science company that is masked by a kids apparel brand. Um, so yes, we are vertical. We design and produce all of our own products. Everything we sell has a Rockets of Awesome label inside of it. Um, but really at the core of what we're doing every day, what I think 
really motivates the team and inspires us. And what we're most challenged by is how do we leverage technology and data science to not only make, you know, designing and producing goods like kids apparel more efficient and more effective and, and better, you know, product for our customers, but how do we leverage that information to make our entire business, you know, more productive and profitable? Um, so for us in the supply chain, you know, we started literally with nothing. Um, I, prior to Cricket Circle, I built and ran a costume jewelry business over the course of eight years. So I've had a lot of experience in manufacturing goods, both domestically as well as internationally. Um, but I've never been in apparel and I've never worked in a corporate environment. And so I've never, you know, I always would say to my husband, like, when am I going to get a real job? Um, so I never learned sort of, you know, those, those very rigid processes. But, um, you know, I'm very scrappy and I, um, you know, you put a target in front of me and I run after it as hard as possible. And so I was going to figure it out. And, and basically where I started is that I hired a number of people far more experienced than I am to um, really help build out our supply chain. So um, bringing in designers and product development experts who had relationships with vendors overseas and knew the questions to ask, knew how to develop a garment. And, you know, we've learned a lot along the way. We figured out um, how to improve our margins, how to be more efficient with our designs. We've also learned what our customers want. Um, and, you know, all of this is is a learning process. And I think, again, how do you mitigate risk along the way? And so for us, you know, we probably went a little more conservative in our designs in the beginning because we didn't know who our customer was going yeah. to be. Um, and it enabled us to take bigger risks later on. Um, yeah. We also made mistakes, right? We thought our customer was going to be much younger than they turned out to be. So we bought, you know, much more size two inventory than we did of some of the bigger sizes. Um, so again, you know, there's a lot of learning. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to push you on, on that point a little bit. You said you're a data company hiding behind an apparel retailer. And I, I was very curious going through the user experience myself uh, uh, this afternoon in prepping for our interview at, at, at what attributes you chose to ask about. So it was, you know, for instance, one of the things you ask about is, is, is does my child, does little Billy want an elastic cuff on his pants? And, and another curious one was, does he like camo and will he wear neon? And those struck me as really strange and idiosyncratic questions. And I wonder if you could tell us how you decide what that configurator, which, which attributes that configurator should actually focus on. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it might feel a little obscure, but it's actually very purposeful. So we actually started with, you know, what are all the questions we want we want to ask and what is everything we want to know? And, and really, at the end of the day, particularly in the beginning, it came down to, okay, what are the questions that we need to ask because we can actually affect the outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that we wanted to ask, but there was nothing we could do about it. Um, so we started with, you know, color preferences. What colors do your kids like or do they not like? Um, and, and, you know, things that we had heard or we had experienced personally of like kids not liking buttons or zippers or sweaters or skirts, things like that. Um, but ultimately that questionnaire has evolved over time as we started to learn what drives purchase behavior and what doesn't matter. Um, we've added things, we've removed things. We try to keep the, the profile as short as possible down to about six or seven questions, mm -hmm. um, but as we've built our algorithms, 
they are able to get smarter. So, you know, we started with rules-based algorithms, and now we are onto machine learning algorithms, and we're onto um, natural language processing. And so, you know, everything that we're learning is not just implicit, but also explicit. And it is not just what you're telling us or how you're behaving, but how like customers are also behaving. Um, so, you know, something like camo, we didn't have that in the beginning. It was something we wanted to know, but there wasn't, we, there were, wasn't a whole lot that we could affect in the beginning around camo. We learned very quickly that that was a call out from customers that, you know, they really didn't like it yeah. um, or they really did like it. And we needed to know that immediately. Yeah. Or in, in one very strange, if you, if you happen to live in Pennsylvania and your kids go to Quaker school, it's actually not allowed. So it's, yes, it's, it's one of these exactly. weird, weird things. Um, all right. Now you mentioned, Rachel, you gave me the wedge to mention how I, how I vaguely know you, which is you, you, you mentioned your husband. And so I had your husband, Neil, as, as a student, and, and he is himself a, a successful entrepreneur. And I, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what it's like to be a young couple, both of you running extremely fast-growing, successful venture-backed businesses, and, and what that's, what this, what's that like at home? It's amazing. It's, it's, it's the best. Because, you know, we, we both just spoke in a panel together. So Neil is uh, one of the founders uh, and co-CEO of Warby Parker. And um, they launched at Wharton. So it was really fun. It launched out of our apartment. And um, it's been not only, you know, so rewarding to watch and see how it's grown and evolved, but it's been really fun for us as a couple because we've both grown our businesses um, both in tandem with each other as well as in different stages. Um, so I was running, you know, a pretty well-established uh, business when when Warby started. Um, I later licensed that business and started another business, and Warby was sort of in the middle stages. And now Warby is, you know, seven years out, and I'm starting Rockets again. And so, um, you know, I would say the best part is that we lead independent lives at work, but we lead very similar lives. And so when we come home, we completely understand what each other is going through, um, what our day was like, even if we don't have to talk about the details of it. Um, we have very shared experience, whether it's across HR or technology or investors. Um, and so we're really, you know, each other's greatest advisors. And I would say more than anything, what I appreciate is that we never make each other feel guilty about having to work or being late or missing something because we just implicitly understand. Yeah. And so it's actually made our lives much easier, whereas I think the perception is that it must be harder. Yeah. Well, you know, he I, I know Neil, of course, better than I know you, and he's a, a terrific and sweet guy. So you're very lucky uh, to have that partner at home. Um I wonder, uh, last thing, I think we just have time for maybe one more topic, but I, I, I can't leave the interview with not asking you about the name. So tell us where the name came from and, and why you went with such an unusual name. Well, Rockets of Awesome, you know, really exists to celebrate this magical, unpredictable confidence that kids have, right? Like kids are weird and they're quirky and... They're so confident, um, and we really wanted to celebrate that confidence. And so we always knew that the business was, you know, the brand and the business was it was confident, it was bold, and we actually say that the kids are rockets of awesome. Mm. So it really doesn't have a space reference other than really celebrating their personalities and their spirit. And and does it 
It is unusual, though. Maybe talk a little bit about just sort of the practical implications. Is it is it so unusual that it's quite memorable and it works, or are is there some awkwardness around getting people to remember your website and that sort of thing? Well, we were really worried in the beginning because it's a very long name. Right. So we were like, oh my god, do people want to type in that long domain name? And we actually can't get the whole name on Twitter, so our Twitter handle doesn't have an e at the end. Um, but but at the end of the day, we loved how bold and memorable it was. Yeah. And it's really fun because when you say Rockets of Awesome to somebody, when they say, you know, where do you work or what do you do? You Im- they immediately stop and they laugh and they smile. And they say, wow, that's a cool name, you know, and, yeah. and you catch their attention. And yeah. again, that's what the brand is about. It's about, you know, this like over the top celebratory fun, you know, life that that kids inspire adults to be a part of. And, um, you know, we want people to feel that way when they hear the name of the brand. Well, it 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 breaks some of my rules of branding, but I got to tell you, I've warmed up to it. And I think I'm going to revise. No, really, I'm going to revise the rules because I think if you can make it memorable enough, and especially with the autocomplete that is intrinsic to so many browsers this day, these days, you know, the the instantaneous search, it it probably probably works quite well. So I I'm, I am going to revise my advice on names because I think it is really we a nice. We also get the dot com, which exactly. is part of my rule. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just. That was important. Yeah. All right. Well, Rachel, we're out of time. And I had so many other things to ask you, but we'll just have to have you back. But thanks so much for for joining us and and making the time. Thank you so much. All right. For more information about Rockets of Awesome, just go to rocketsofawesome.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.